I was particularly encouraged this week as I was preparing this new series uh, on 1 Corinthians from chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, as And so it is with me, so this is Paul speaking, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. So as I blunder my way through the rest of 1 Corinthians, you'll understand it's a deliberate attempt to uh, be more like Paul. Let me pray, and uh, then let's get into today's passage. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you for this book of 1 Corinthians, which teaches us so much about life, even our culture and, and life today. We pray most of all that we would see more of Jesus as we look through it. If we don't know you, we pray it would change our hearts. Pray that you would show us your great love and compassion and truth for the first time. And for those of us that do, we pray that you would encourage us and challenge us and change us to be more like Jesus as we rely fully and completely on him for salvation and eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, uh, 1 Corinthians is a fascinating book, uh, and we're going to spend a large chunk of this year going through it uh, from beginning to end with a few breaks, uh, things like Christmas series and, and those sort of things. Uh, and it covers all sorts of themes, most of which are introduced by Paul uh, in his uh, in his letter as he opens it here. So it's worth us, us spending a few minutes uh, setting the scene for the book so that we know what to do with it as we work our way through the rest of it. Uh, now, many of Paul's letters, uh, if you've read some of them in the New Testament, are pretty straightforward gospel presentations. Uh, they explain theology and they're quite straightforward. Uh, perhaps think of Galatians or, or Romans or Ephesians even. Uh, and that makes them fairly easy to apply to us, doesn't it? Because if Paul is explaining some sound doctrine, that's really useful for us to hear and apply to our own lives. Uh, and then within those books, he tends to, from that sort of basis, then explain what's going on in their context so that they know uh, what to do. Now, 1 Corinthians is a bit more the other way around. Uh, it's almost entirely contextual. Uh, in other words, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to address specific situations and issues going on in their churches there. Uh, 1 Corinthians is actually one of about five letters, probably. Uh, we, we only have one or two Corinthians. Uh, but uh, this one, for example, is a, is a response from a letter we don't know about. So in chapter 7, he writes things like, now for the matters you wrote to me about. So he's addressing really specific things that the Corinthian church has raised. Uh, that said, though, much of the specific stuff that he talks about uh, is going to be really useful and, and really interesting to us in our culture and our age. Uh, Corinth was a new city. Uh, wealth had grown quickly, which obviously meant that you had the elite, but you also had the very poor now. And so there was poverty. Uh, wisdom and rhetoric and power was kind of the way to make progress in this city. Uh, sexual immoral immorality, not immortality, which I once did in a reading. That's something very different. Uh, false gods, they were all rife in this city. Uh, Paul, if you read Acts, Acts 18 particularly, uh, and piecing a few other bits together, spent at least about 18 months in this city. So he knows what this city is like. And so it's, a, it's kind of a treasure, treasure chest of applied theology. Uh, addressing specific issues, things at work or relationships or in the church or in families or in our community, how we should behave sexually. It, it addresses lawsuits and disputes between believers, what happens to our bodies after we die. But perhaps even more helpful than all those specific things, 
is we're going to, I hope, see Paul apply the gospel to real life. What difference does the, does the gospel make in everyday life situations? And he's going to set the scene next week uh, at the end of chapter one, the beginning of chapter two, when we uh, look at him arguing that Christ crucified is all the wisdom we actually need for this life. That's the only thing we really need. That's the thing that makes life as a Christian successful, knowing that Christ is crucified. And then he's going to apply it and show us how we do that in our own lives. And he says it's foolishness to the rest of the world when they think about some, hang on, you're saying God died. That's just foolishness. And it's totally unimpressive to all the really powerful, impressive, wise speakers around in Corinth at the time. But to the believer, Paul's going to argue, Christ crucified is absolutely everything. Jesus is everything, is his big point. Jesus must come first. Uh, and that's what we've called our series. I think there's size, there are. Uh, Jesus first. That's what he's going to convince us of, of as we live our lives this year. So he'll demonstrate, if you like, a framework that will help us behave in a, in a godly way. Trusting in the crucified Messiah, how do we then live? How, what's the way forward? How does the gospel help us uh, live and understand nearly two years of COVID, perhaps? W what are we to think of the Taliban taking over an entire country? W what about social media and the influence that has? What about the whole debate around gender? How do we apply our gospel, Christ crucified, to our culture, to our worldly issues, the life we live in. Uh, it's a very confused world that we live in, and this book is one for our time. I hope it will be helpful for us. So Jesus first is what we're going to learn through 1 Corinthians. Now, let's get into our passage today. Uh, now, after six weeks of children at home, if you've got them, or 18 months of lockdowns, we need a bit of encouragement. So have a look at verse one. Uh, we're going to start going through because uh, this short passage that we're looking today, at today is very encouraging. Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. And you aren't going to get stuck on that. Uh, Paul is the author of our letter. He's an apostle. Uh, most of you will know before he was called by Jesus to be an apostle, he's a militant oppressor of Christians. He would have them stoned and killed and, uh, and uh, put out of cities and sentenced to judgments. But he had an experience where he met Jesus. Now, Jesus had already died by this point, so it would be, a, it would be quite an experience, wouldn't it, if someone who was dead appeared to you. But that's what happened. Uh, and he was converted and instructed by Jesus to tell the gospel, to tell the good news about the crucified and risen Jesus to others. Uh, so that's who Paul is. Sosthenes is likely the chap that you read about in Acts 18. Uh, he was a synagogue leader in Corinth, so a, a Jewish synagogue leader. Uh, but he received a bit of a beating from the crowd, we assume, because he wasn't really stopping Paul preaching about Jesus. And it seems likely that he decided to follow Paul, got converted, became a follower of Jesus, and went with Paul to Ephesus, which is where Paul is writing this letter from. So he also knows a lot about the culture and the experience that they're facing in Corinth. So that's our authors introduced. Let's get into some encouraging theology. Have a look at verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, 
together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Uh, this is a pretty glorious statement about a church, isn't it? As true for the Christian church in Corinth as it is for every church ever since, in fact, it's our first point, they are sanctified in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ. We have been made holy. Uh, we've been called to be holy in Christ. In other words, uh, we are made perfect before God in Christ. And it's something we often forget, I think, isn't it, as believers, uh, that that is our position before God. As believers in the crucified Jesus, our sin, our rebellion against God has been counted or atoned for or the, the price paid by that crucified Jesus. That's why him dying is so important. We are sanctified. We are holy. We are set apart for God in Jesus. So Jesus doesn't help us to get sanctified in this salvation sense. Uh, we are holy. We are sanctified because we are in Christ. You see the language there? We're, we're in him. So God doesn't look at, who should I pick on? Um, I'm not feeling brave. I'll pick on Tim. God doesn't look at Tim and see him and think, well, Tim's a work in progress. I mean, we might do that, but if God looks at him and he doesn't think that. He doesn't, but what he does is he looks at Tim and he sees him as perfect because he is in Christ. He looks at Tim and sees the perfect love that Jesus, Tim's looking embarrassed, uh, perfect love of Jesus towards God the Father. And so it's reciprocated. Our position before God is one of untold privilege and joy sanctified in Christ. Uh, elsewhere in the Bible, Colossians uh, 3, verse 3, we went through this book two or three years ago, uh, says this, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our sinful humanity is dead, it's gone. Our whole life is hidden within Christ. So God cannot see us for who we really are anymore because he sees us through the lens of Christ. We've been made perfect, holy, sanctified in Christ. It is the greatest privilege and joy and hope available to anyone on this earth. And yet we easily forget it, don't we? And I wonder if we easily forget it because it's not yet our practice, is it? This is our position before God in Christ, but our practice of how we actually live is often very different. You see, we are both fully sanctified in Christ, and yet we're also called to be holy. There's a sense of that now and not yetness of our salvation, isn't there? We are made completely perfect before God in Christ, and yet we are still working on it. If you don't believe me, read the rest of 1 Corinthians, where Paul spends the whole time telling them where they're getting it wrong and where they need to improve. But our position is one of holiness in Christ before God even if our practice is a work in progress, much like Tim. Uh, it's why Paul starts here, I think, uh, before he gets into the rest of this book. We need to be reminded, we need to know that whatever we do, whatever we've done, whatever situation we're facing, however hard we're struggling with the things he's going to address for us in this book, we can be reassured of God's grace, God's love, God's compassion towards us. 
we can know our position before him is one that is already sanctified. And so we keep that perspective when Paul will spend much of the rest of the letter telling them how they missed the mark in their practice. But we need to know our position before we start sanctified in Christ. So, Grace Church, if we have given our life to Jesus, if we have accepted and believed in him, then know that we are sanctified in Christ. We are God's precious children, forgiven and loved unconditionally, eternally hidden with Christ Jesus. And if you don't yet believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then that's a pretty good invite, isn't it? That is the offer of the gospel. Yes, it's a foolish message in the sense you, you access it through a dying God on the cross. But what an invite that is. We're going to look at that more uh, next week. It's a free gift. Jesus has paid the price. What a gift it is. Now, our practice may often fall short of our position before God, but it doesn't mean that we don't benefit in some ways from that position, from being a child of God. Have a look at verse 4. Uh, Paul says this, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Our second point, we are enriched in every way. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? We are enriched in every way. Christians live a life that has been enriched in every way. Uh, for the Corinthians uh, in their culture, the difference between before they became a Christian and after may well have been very stark socially and, and culturally. Uh, they were saved out of a very dark culture, practicing prostitution and incest and drunkenness and worshipping false idols. Uh, it perhaps would have been more, more comparable to someone in our culture being saved out of a street gang to be a Christian or saved from being a a Taliban a terrorist or becoming a Christian, the change we would see in their life practically, visually, would be significant. Their life would have been changed beyond recognition. And so Paul says, you've been, uh, you've been improved in every way. You've been enriched. But even for us, this statement is true. In a country based traditionally on Christian principles, a culture that generally values living the morals of the Bible. The change we have undergone if we are true believers at conversion is very significant. Or perhaps for those of us that have grown up always being Christians, uh, believing in Jesus, then the life we have been saved from, that we've perhaps never experienced as a knowing adult, is, is, un is unimaginable. It's so different. Our life has been enriched in every way, if only we recognize it rightly. So we may not have been involved in horrific public sins. Uh, we may not have seen a massive change in our lifestyles when someone comes to Christ in our culture, but the change is significant. Paul explains it like this. Have a look at verse five again. He says that the change is seen in your speech and all knowledge in all kinds of speech and in all knowledge 
Uh, it's a slightly confusing phrase, but it come, becomes clear as we work our way through uh, 1 Corinthians. But Paul is talking about in terms of our confession and our proclamation about Jesus and our knowledge, our understanding in terms of what life is all about, who Jesus is and our salvation that we receive from knowing him. So it's about knowing, speaking, being part of the truth. Uh, so, for example, uh, let me just read uh, chapter 12, verse 3 to you. Paul says this. Uh, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. So that's how we were before. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. The speech is totally transformed. What we live for, what we believe, what we know, how we understand all of life has totally and utterly changed. Even if our lifestyle is not particularly different because our neighbours behave in a fairly decent way as we do. We no longer say Jesus be cursed. We now say Jesus is Lord. Our life is enriched now because we proclaim Christ. Everything we live for is different. We know of him and we speak of him. We have full access to the knowledge of God in his word because we know him. And in that light, our priorities, our perspectives on life radically change in every way imaginable. In other words, don't be disheartened, holy people in Christ, when you get sick or when you lose your job or when you have to isolate for yet another 10 days or perhaps your marriage is hard. They're all worldly ways to measure your life. No, your life has been enriched in every way. If that is what life is all about, all those troubles and problems, then you might as well be miserable. It's why much of our country is miserable. They're measuring life by their own ability to improve and make things okay and comfortable. And sadly, the answer's not inside of us, is it? In fact, we are the problem. And trying to fix it with false gods or self-help schemes or worldly philosophies, or, or, they're not going to fix the problem. Measure your life, says Paul, by Jesus and what he's done for you. Christians, our life has been enriched in every way by what we proclaim and know and teach and share of Jesus. You're a forgiven child of God, sanctified in Christ, full of joy and hope. Whatever our circumstances, our whole perspective has changed. Our circumstances may not look much different from the surrounding world, but our perspective, our speech, our knowledge has been radically transformed. We no longer live for ourselves or by worldly dead-end wisdom or trying to fix everything so that it's right by our standards. We'll talk about some of this more next week. But by the life-enriching, future-guaranteeing grace and peace of Jesus, everything has been enriched in our lives. Everything has changed. So we no longer work just to make our lives or our families comfortable. We work for Jesus. We no longer face illness or even death uh, alone or in fear because we now face it with Jesus and an eternity before us. We no longer face relational difficulties as if our life really depended solely on our relationship with our spouse or a friend or a parent. No, our life, our relationship is now entirely wound up and complete in Christ. We are enriched in every way. And this letter is going to help us explore. Uh, more of those topics. 
And that enriching uh, is not just kept to our culture, uh, our, our world. It should also be true of us here in church uh, and true of our faith. So have a look at verse 7. Uh, Paul's speaking about an issue he's going to address in chapter 14 about spiritual gifts. He says, verse 7, this is how their life has been enriched. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You have every gift you need, says Paul. Stop squabbling over who's better, who's more important, who does what best. You have everything you need in Christ. Or speaking of what he'll talk about in chapter 15, about what happens to the body after death, where some were fearful or arguing for different situations. Verse 8, he says, he, that's uh, Jesus, will keep, also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop quarreling, stop comparing, stop striving to save yourselves, stop panicking, stop seeking worldly ways, stop misjudging what is important about life. You are not less valuable, you're not less informed, you're not less gifted than other Christians. No, says Paul, you as a church have absolutely everything you need because you've been given it in Christ and your life is enriched in every way. Speak of it and know it, he says. And finally, as uh, we reach the end, uh, verse 9 uh, just kind of puts the icing on the cake, I guess, for what we're thinking about. Have a look at verse 9. Uh, it's our third point. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. So none of this, being sanctified in Christ, being enriched in every way, relies on us always getting it right. We're not sanctified in ourselves, but in Christ. We're not enriched through our own efforts or circumstances, but through Christ and what we now know and speak of. It is God who is faithful, not us. This is a message you and I need to remember in our failing world. And it's a message the world needs to hear us speak. A world full of mental health challenges and global pandemics and gender confusions and Workplaces glorifying pride values and every other minority value, but silencing the only really good news about Jesus. Science claiming it doesn't need God. Scientists playing God. Doctors ending lives in the womb. Taliban terrorists taking over whole countries. Natural disasters causing cities uh, to be flooded or hurricanes flattening towns. Self-care and yoga and mindless meditations all being our country's favorite religion. Church leaders being disgraced. Economies tanking, holidays cancelled no i mean it's no wonder the world is a mess if that is what we judge our life by don't forget says paul you're okay and not because you're okay uh, you're actually the problem but you're okay because jesus is more than okay and the jesus sanctified life enriched follower of jesus none of these things have any power over us. In Jesus, our perspective on life is radically different. And we're going to spend the rest of 1 Corinthians exploring what that looks like in our lives. But for today, for today, in Christ, you are holy, sanctified, and called to pursue it. We are enriched in every way. We have everything we need for, verse 9 again, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, 
Christ Jesus, our Lord. Pray, Father God. I'm going to pray. Let's <laughs> <laughs> pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for this glorious passage of encouragement. We thank you for the position you have given us in Christ. Thank you it relies fully on you who is faithful, and on, not on us and not on what we can do or haven't done or might do. We praise you for that great truth. Thank you that our life has been enriched in every way, even if our circumstances in a, in a worldly sense haven't that our perspective, our understanding, what we speak of and live for, and everything we do now is radically changed, enriched because of all you've done for us and all that we now live for in response. If we don't trust and believe in you in this uh, extraordinary way, trusting in your grace, may you change our hearts now. And for those of us that do, may we live a life of joy and hope, even when it's really tough, even when difficult things come our way, even when it is right to mourn and cry and, and be upset, may we also know the great truth of your joy and hope before us. May our perspectives be radically different. May our lives feel enriched, even when our circumstances are not. And may we live those lives that are called to be holy in your name, knowing that we are already that in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.